Hey there, thoughtful listener. This is Josh Elledge, CEO of UpMyInfluence.com. I'm so excited to announce our new Thoughtful Entrepreneur High Ticket Sales Coaching Program, which you can try absolutely free. No credit card needed. Head to upmyinfluence.com slash free. We're also actively seeking guests for our daily commercial-free entrepreneurial inspiration podcast, the one you're listening to. If you know someone who is doing six to eight figures in business, send them our way. Just go to upmyinfluence.com slash guest. Now let's get on with the show. With us right now, Howard Tierski. Howard, uh, you are based just outside of New York City. You are the founder of From, and From is a uh, digital agency, and you're a consultant. You're found on the web at from.digital. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me, Josh. So go ahead and give us the overview. Tell us what From does. You've worked with some big brands. Here, I'll list yes. some. Amazon, Sesame Street, Mattel, Nick, a lot of... Um, Oh, Universal Orlando, uh, just just uh, in my neighborhood. Uh, and so you've worked with some really, really great brands. Tell me what you do with them. Yeah, sure. Well, we focus on digital transformation. And, you know, the world is undergoing a digital transformation right now. It has yeah. been for the last couple of decades. You know, whatever business you're in, customers' dig- lifestyles have become more and more digitally centric. And I would add not only their lifestyles, but their work styles. And so companies that are successful are those that are transforming in order to continue to meet those needs and resonate with the lifestyles of their customers. Uh, Those that are not are becoming irrelevant. And we've seen, of course, many, many companies over the last decade or more who've gone out of business that had formerly been great brands. So our focus is on working with largely large brands to help them understand how is the customer changed and what do they need to be doing differently in order to be able to compete toe-to-toe in the marketplace with any digital competitor that may be out there and to really earn the love of even their most digitally-centric customer. Yeah. So, Howard, here's the million-dollar question. How have customers changed? Well, just think how we've all changed. The, the mobile phone has become our you know, constant companion, right? We sleep with it beside our bed. Most people check their phone. Studies tell us between 70 and 150 times a day. You know, they do studies and ask if you had to choose between having to work an extra day a week or keeping your phone or choosing between losing your vacation or keeping your phone, man, the phone wins every single time. There's even one study where they ask people if you had to choose between giving up sex and your phone. And I think I think sex won, but I only by a very, very small margin, you know. So that's clearly become a critical part of how we do everything, how we shop, how we handle our finances, how we pay people, how we, how we socialize, how we learn. I mean, imagine any sphere of life and you probably quickly get to people who are engaged with digital experiences, whether on their phone or their, or their computer or their tablets and whatnot. So it's, a, it's woven into the fabric of everything we do at, at work and at play. And so no matter what you do, the odds are, and, and that your customers are expecting to be able to interact with you that way. And not just to be able to interact, but to be able to interact thoroughly, robustly, to do whatever they want to do whenever they want to do it. And they expect it to be extremely easy and simple with a bar set by companies like Amazon and Uber and Netflix. If you're not as easy as that, the odds are your customers are wondering why, or they may not be wondering, 
they may already think they know why you're not delivering as good an experience as those other companies they deal with. And the why that they believe they figured out is that you just don't care about them. <laughs> so um, what would be an example of maybe someone that you've seen recently where you're like, and, and kind of the writing was on the wall because they were just not taking the user experience very seriously. And as a result, there were some serious consequences to that. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's look pre-COVID because, of course, in the COVID era, we have all kinds of other things. But let's take someone like Toys R Us. Toys R Us is a great band. You know, from my childhood, if that brand had gone out of business when I was six, year old, six years old, I would have been devastated. But this is a brand that advertised in their commercials that walking into their store was going to be like a wonderland. You know, with with uh, characters walking around everywhere, with kids playing and engaging with all kinds of toys. And, you know, they delivered an experience like that in one place and one place only, which was their their showcase store in Times Square. But mm -hmm. they shut that down a few years ago because the rent was too expensive. But if you look at all the other Toys R Us's around the country, what do you what do you get when you walk in? You got these big steel shelves stocked with boxes of toys sort of surly employees whose number one job seemed to be to make sure that kids didn't open the boxes and actually play with the toys yeah. until the parents had already paid for them. This was not a magical, wonderful experience, you know? Oh. And there was a time when a lot of retail was about location, location, location. If I have the product you want and I'm in your neighborhood, then you're going to come drive, find the product and wait in line to buy it because how else are you going to get it? But with digital, we all of a sudden have other alternatives, right? The big A, we can yep. just go online and order it. In fact, that's what my son Joseph said to me. He was six years old at the time that Amazon went out of sorry, the, sorry, at the time that Toys R Us went out of business. Mm. And I was worried he was going to be going to be crushed. And I said, "How do you feel about this?" And he said to me, six-year-old kid, pointing at the Alexa, he said to me, "Don't worry, Dad. We can just get whatever we we can get whatever we need from Amazon." Mm. In a six-year-old kid doesn't care if your toy store is going out of business, man, you're done for. Because mm. there was nothing special about the experience. No. Yeah. Imagine, I mean, you know, just some things that Toys R Us could have done, right, to encourage kids to come. You've seen kids playing on YouTube. Come play with this toy here. We've got, you know, a toy testing ground where you can come experience this, you know, just something like that. I'm, I'm, not, I'm no expert on this, but there's just an idea. <laughs> Right. I, of course, well, I'm Monday morning quarterbacking here, but what, whatever. <laughs> well, you know, you're 100% right, Josh. And the thing is, and the reason why the work that I do can be tricky is that for someone like Toys R Us, absolutely, there's so many things they could have done to create a better experience. The challenge, and this is not just for Toys R Us, but for companies that are alive today, is cost money costs money. Everything you want to do mm -hmm. to improve the experience potentially costs money. So if you're a retailer and you're operating on a thin retail margin, you may want to do all those cool things. Toys R Us clearly had the idea. After all, they created a money-losing brand-focused showcase in Times Square that was doing that. But they also, I'm sure, thought, man, if every store was like Times Square, we'd gone out of business, got, we would have gone out of business even faster. So that's the trick. The trick is you have to look at it from the customer experience perspective, and at the same time, from the business perspective. Many, many brands are showing us today, look at Apple, look at Lululemon, how to create a retail experience, which is both a fantastic experience and also is making more money, not less. If you just take your existing retail experience and start pouring more money in without any way to recoup that money, well, 
that is not necessarily something that's sustainable from a business perspective. So I think a lot of the work that I do is working with brands to find the path to improved customer experiences that will improve their business bottom line as well. Howard, your book is called Winning Digital Customers, The Antidote to Irrelevance. And there's a secret formula that you talk about, the three primary factors that earn your customers love and loyalty. So what what are those factors? Sure. The first is to meet your customers' needs extremely consistently. Now, if you do that in, in whatever domain your business is, whether you're roof repair or accounting or a toy store, and of course, that's not enough to win their love. But if you're not consistently meeting your customers' needs, that's the foundation of the pyramid. You're never going to win their love. And I have to tell you, there are many, uh, research shows from companies like Forrester or McKinsey that a huge, more than 50% of, of consumers will say that a large percentage of brands do not consistently meet their needs. So right there, many brands not only don't consistently meet the needs of their customers, and to the point I made earlier, those needs continue to change and evolve as customers become more digitally centric. So, and, and I got to say from my own work, many brands don't even realize all of the ways. They often realize some, but they don't even realize all the ways that they're not meeting their customers' needs. Then the second is to occasionally, periodically do something extra that delights your customer. Mm-hmm. That's important because customers expect you to do the things that meet their needs because that's what they're paying you for. But when you do something extra that you don't need to do, that sends in a message to the customer that you care about them. And if you want someone to care about you, loyalty, right, customer love, reciprocity is the first step. And you can't really prove you care about the customer by sending them the thing they ordered on time, right? That's just what you're supposed to do. But when you do something extra that cost you something more that went out of your way that you didn't have to do to get their money, that demonstrates something about a possible emotional connection that you have to them. And the last is to stand for something the customer cares about. And companies like Nike or on the other side of the um, political spectrum, Chick-fil-A or Hobby Lobby have demonstrated, and without agreeing or disagreeing with any of their politics, when you show that you have something you care about, you attract people who share those values. And those don't have to be political values like Nike's support for Colin Kaepernick and Black Lives Matter. Apple clearly stands for something. Does Dell really stand for something? No. <laughs> Disney clearly stands for something. Does Paramount clearly stand for something? I mean, mm. I think this, this makes a difference and it, sometimes it makes all the difference. And so if you combine those three things together, imagine you met somebody at a party and after you talk to them for a few minutes, you don't, you say, wow, you know, this person really seems to get me. Like my conversations with them are really kind of meeting my needs and they really seem to care about me. They're really looking out for me. And, you know, they really, they share my kind of some of my important core values. Is that somebody who you'd think, you know, I I want to get this person's number, you know, like if it's a, a certain, someone you're attracted to, maybe there's a love relationship there or a friendship that's already the fertile ground for somebody that you're going to want to be connected to. And that's the same triggers that brands can pull when they want to get that emotional response from their customers. Yeah. You know, I was just thinking, 
thinking about this this morning, Howard. Um, there was a uh, recent event that took. I'm going to be very vague here, <laughs> but there was a recent event that took place in a in a state in the United States, and it became a statewide issue. And then people started saying, "Well, wait a minute, you're doing business in that state. Uh, do you?" What's your opinion on that? And I thought, boy, yeah. that's just such an interesting world that we live in today, where if I'm just a company, I'm like, look, our headquarters is here. You know, it's like you can't really sit on the sidelines for anything like you have to, you know, at your PR team or, you know, your communications team, you need to have this stuff thought out and you need to chime in. Regard even if it has nothing to do with you, because your audience wants to know, and they're expecting some sort of participation in the conversations, which is kind of crazy. You know, if your company is like, "Look, we just sell financial products. We don't have anything to do with this social issue." Yeah, you do. <laughs> your customers want you to. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that uh, I know, of course, which state you're referring to, and. <laughs> And, and I think that uh, it can be tough to stay out of something when it's so dominant in the society. But I would also add this. You frustrate your customer when you stand for nothing. Mm. And so many brands stand for nothing. But if you stand for something and a political issue comes up that doesn't relate to what you stand for, let's say you're a company and what you stand for is the environment and taking care of the environment, or what you stand for, like Apple, is empowering creative people. And a political issue comes up, you know, like election interference or something. And someone says, well, well, what's your opinion on that? If you're a large bank that doesn't stand for anything and you don't take a stand, then that's frustrating. But if you do stand for something, you can just go back to what you stand for and say, well, you know, here's what we really care about. This is the thing we stand for. And even if it's not, and you can avoid possibly even taking a strong stand. If, if, if brands are concerned about taking a, a strong stand on a social issue, particularly when it's one that they may not have a strong stand on or may yeah. not know how to position themselves, if you have already demonstrated that you do stand for something, yeah, it's easier to duck the issue that you don't want to take a stand on because at least you can say, look, we stand for something. It's this, you know, and uh, versus if you stand for nothing and then they say, you don't even stand for anything in this situation. You truly are without a soul. And so that's another reason that it's beneficial for brands to really think about. And I, I, I did a two-part video series on this once. First of all, how to figure out what your company really does stand for. Because it's one thing if you're starting a new company, right? And say, well, we're going to start a new company. Like when Mark Benioff started Salesforce and said, we're going to give, I think it's one of the give to 1% of their profits to charity or something. They founded their company in part based on a social a set of social goals. But it's not so easy when you're hired as the chief marketing officer of McDonald's, like uh, uh, someone I know recently was. And nothing against McDonald's, but like if you're coming in like, hey, we need to figure out what we stand for and stand for something more than we do. Well, you have a giant ship that, you know, like, how do you transform that? That can be very challenging. Um, but, you know, I think it's first about, there, you know, the truth is companies don't really stand for anything. Only people do. And so what you have to do is start to figure out, okay, well, what do these people stand for? These people that make up this company. And they probably stand for many things, which means how do we find things that are dominant in our corporate culture that also overlap with things that are dominant in what our customers stand for. Now, you're never going to find something that 100% of your employees stand for and 100% of your customers stand for. And then once you found those things, there's a variety of things you also need to do to make sure 
that you're telegraphing them to the world, that you're communicating them. You can't just say, we stand for this, because these days people don't believe what you say, they believe what you do. So there's a variety of things you can do to show the world what you stand for. And one of them is taking a risky stand in a social issue when it comes up, but that's only one of probably 10 different things you can do. So uh, there's other things, whether it's philanthropy or um, actually showing it through your customer experience, through your products and services and a wide range of other things as well. Yeah. You know, I've heard it said that, you know, people don't do business necessarily with brands and services and products. People do business with people. I don't know if there's any truth to that in your world or how you would rephrase that. Well, I think two things. First of all, that it does depend on your your business. You know, if you're if you're a like a badge brand, if you're Rolex, if you're the American Express black card, if you're Mercedes, part of what people are buying is the brand. That's a huge part of the percentage. I want to drive around my neighborhood in a Mercedes. So in those types of cases, if you're committed to showing your friends that you have the affluence to buy a Mercedes and you go into the Mercedes dealership and that salesperson is a complete jerk to you, you may very well still drive out in a Mercedes you know, because that's not the focus. But I do think that um, in our day-to-day, but, but on, at the same time, you may not feel a great sense of loyalty to Mercedes. But I do think in a lot of our day-to-day interactions, in service businesses, you know, when you when you go every day to Starbucks and the person behind the counter develops a relationship with you and treats you in a way that you appreciate, or on the flip side, if every time you go into Starbucks, you just feel like they never remember who you are, they're always surly, they're always stressed, they're always in a bad mood, then that's going to have an impact on your on the value proposition of Starbucks because the experience is a very important part of the of the value proposition of any business. I mean, after all, look at it this way. What more is there to our life than our experience? That's it. That's all there is to life, right? And so if interacting with a given brand is an experience which is unpleasant in some way, it makes me angry, frustrated, confused, disappointed, feel neglected, feel uncared about, et cetera, why subject that little portion of my precious moments of my lifetime to that, especially if there's a competitor it's offering me a positive experience. Whatever it is, whether it's a house cleaning service or, or it's a, a you know car repair, whatever it is. So I think it's a hugely important part. And in a competitive world, it's not the only aspect, but it's a very, very important part of any thing that a brand delivers. And the human interaction is very often a very important part of that. So yes, I think it's it's quite important. You know, uh, boy, what a great conversation, Howard. And it's like, sadly, I, we have just limited time here with you. But um, listen, your website is from.digital is is the yes. website. And and when folks go there, uh, what, what would you recommend they click on? Where do they engage? Like, how do they engage with you? Well, it, first of all, um, there's a few ways to engage. Uh, I have written this book, as you mentioned. I'm very proud we got it on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list this year. It's called Winning Digital Customers, The Antidote to Irrelevance. Uh, you can actually, there's another website for that book. If you want to go there, it's at winningdigitalcustomers.com. So that's a great place to start. I also have a podcast and a live cast on LinkedIn. So I put out a lot of content about leadership on matters of enterprise, digital transformation, customer experience. And if you were interested in the services that my company provides, which is consulting and digital agency services, absolutely. If you go to from.digital, there's all kinds of case studies, examples of awards we've won, and more thought leadership articles. And so even whether you're looking to hire someone or not, if you're just looking to understand more how your company can more effectively transform to win the love of today's digital customers, 
we put out an enormous amount of content, both text, video, infographics, et cetera, to help executives who are going through that journey along the process. Yeah. All right. Howard Tierski, again, your website from.digital. And of course, you can go to the website for the book. That's winningdigitalcustomers.com, where you can actually download the first chapter for free. Howard, thank you so much for joining. Great conversation. Listen, I I, I want to, I'd love to have you on when you have a little bit more time, maybe in about six months uh, and and chat about this some more because the world is changing rapidly, especially we didn't even talk much about how COVID has just hit the accelerator on everything that was inevitable. Uh, and those who have been able to move with, you know, cultures with people, uh, they're winning. And those who have not are getting left in the dust. Well said. Uh, happy to come back anytime, Josh. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Howard. Thanks for listening to the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Show. If you are a thoughtful business owner or professional who would like to be on this daily program, we have an audience of over 120,000 that we would love to promote your story to. Please visit upmyinfluence.com slash guest. I'm also so excited to announce our new Thoughtful Entrepreneur High Ticket Sales Coaching Program, which you can try absolutely free, no credit card needed. Head to upmyinfluence.com slash free. If you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you do that, tag us with the hashtag upmyinfluence. Each month, we scour Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. We pick one winner from each platform, and you get crowned king or queen of that social media. What do you win? Well, we will promote you and retweet you and reshare you and your business to over 120,000 social media fans totally free. Can you also hook us up in your podcast player right now? please give us a thumbs up or a rating and review. And we promise to read it all and take action. Thank you if you've done this already. We believe that every person has a message that can positively impact the world. Your feedback helps us fulfill that mission. And while you're at it, please hit that subscribe button. You know why? Tomorrow, that's right, seven days a week, you are going to be inspired and motivated to succeed. 15 to 20 minutes a day. My name's Josh Elledge. Let's connect on the socials. You'll find all the stuff we're doing at upmyinfluence.com. Thanks for listening, and thank you for being a part of the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Movement. Thank you.